We're just continuing through uh, the book of Colossians. This is our third week now that we've been looking at Colossians. So Colossians, in chapter 1, and we're reading from verse 24 right through to chapter 2 and verse 5. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, right the way through to chapter 2 and verse 5. And this, this morning we're looking, as we look at this, at a battle worth fighting for. And it's the battle for spiritual maturity. And as we read, why don't you just hear uh, Paul's heart that Christians, that, that people would grow to full spiritual maturity. So let's read Colossians 1.24. I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am completing what remains of Christ's sufferings for his body the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his message in all its fullness to you Gentiles. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to his own holy people. For it pleased God to tell his people that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. For this is the secret. Christ lives in you. And this is your assurance that you will share in his glory. So everywhere we go, we tell everyone about Christ. We warn them and teach them with all the wisdom God has given us. For we want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. I work very hard at this as I depend on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I want you to know how much I've agonised for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other friends who have never known me personally. My goal is that they will be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have full confidence because they have complete understanding of God's secret plan which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so that no one will be able to deceive you with persuasive arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I am very happy because you are living as you should and because of your strong faith in Christ. Well, let's pray together as uh, we look forward to God speaking to us from his word this morning. God, we just want to thank you this morning that we're here in your presence with your people and singing praises to you. God, it's great this morning to acknowledge that you are our God and you are our Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for rising again and defeating death. And God, we thank you so much that you live in us today by the power of your Holy Spirit. Oh God, we want to thank you for our church and how you continue to work in and through the lives of different people in this congregation. God, thank you for the way you're working through different ministries in this church, changing lives, helping people to become more like you. God, we want to thank you for the way you're working in small groups, for the way you're working in all different ways in this church. God, thanks for Cam and Emma Watson and the uh, blessing they've been uh, in being here. We just ask your blessing as they go uh, to Melbourne. Uh, God, would you continue to strengthen them and encourage them in their walk with you? And we pray for Isabella too and that she would uh, grow and grow to love you, Lord, in every way. God, we thank you for new people that have been coming. We give you praise for that. God, we pray that as we continue to meet together and open your word and pray to you and live for you, God, that you would help us to become more and more like you in every way so that we might have this sure confidence that comes only from you, Lord Jesus, the ultimate one. Oh God, we thank you. Thank you for loving us and speaking to us. And we just open ourselves to you this morning. Have your way in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, we'd love uh, Brendan and Tanya to come up and with Chelsea and little Talia as well. Why don't we welcome them as they make their way up. Well, g'day Brendan and Tanya. And Chelsea's already been dedicated, hasn't she? So she's coming up as the big sister to Talia. And it's great that you guys are here. And we want to welcome you as a family. And we want to welcome Talia as well. And um, it's great that friends and family are here as well this morning. And you've come to bring Talia uh, to the Lord. You've come to bring her into God's house before God's people and before God. And in doing that, you've modelled and are doing what Joseph and Mary did when they brought Jesus to the temple and they presented him at the temple as well. You're recognising by doing this that Talia is your child, but she's not yours alone. Ultimately, uh, God has given her to you and you're coming to say that you recognise that she belongs to God. And as parents, you've got some responsibilities in bringing her up and uh, today you want to publicly commit yourselves to fulfilling those responsibilities. So it's, it's great that you're here. And we as a church, we're here this morning too and we're God's family, God's people here. And just like Jesus welcomed little children uh, in, during his ministry, we want to welcome Talia uh, this morning. And we want to be those who continue to welcome children into our family. We also want to acknowledge that we have some responsibilities this morning as a church too. We've got responsibilities to always be uh, providing teaching and care and a safe environment for kids to grow and to flourish in their love for Jesus. So... We've got some important things that we want to do this morning. And we want to ask God's blessing on Talia's life too. This is what it says in Mark about Jesus and what his thoughts towards children were. He says in Mark chapter 10 and verse 13 to 16, it says, One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. But the disciples told them not to bother him. But when Jesus saw what was happening, he was very displeased with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I assure you, anyone who doesn't have their kind of faith will never get into the kingdom of God. Then he took the children into his arms and placed his hands on their heads and bless them. Well, as you bring Talia, why don't we together uh, pray and give thanks for her life and the great gift from God she is. Let's pray. Oh God, this morning we want to give you praise. We want to praise you for you are the creator of all things. God, you give us life and you give us breath and you give us each new day. And we acknowledge your goodness and greatness to us. You're our Father. And God, we want to say thanks right now this morning for Talia. We want to thank you for the joy that she has brought uh, Brendan and Tanya and Chelsea and for the joy that she's brought her wider family. God, what an incredible miracle it is to see this precious gift, this new life that you have given us. Oh God, thank you so much for the good things that you will give to Talia through her life and for the way in which she will bless others in her life. God, thanks for her incredible potential as a little baby girl. All the days that lie ahead before her, unlived, an adventure for her to explore. Oh God, thanks for the love that she's stirred and for the care that surrounds her. God, you're good. And we want to pause this morning just to say thank you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Brendan and, and Tanya, I want to ask these questions to you. Um, and if you agree, just respond, we do. Brendan and Tanya, do you thank God for his gift of Talia 
And do you accept the joys and duties of parenthood, promising to love and care for her? We do. Great. And do you promise to bring Talia up within the Christian community and share with her your own faith and trust in Jesus? We do. We do. Great. Now let me take Talia from you. She's watching intently proceedings, isn't she? She might. Great. Good girl, Talia. Now, Talia, I want to say welcome. Welcome to this church and we welcome you in the name of the Lord. And church, if you agree, will you answer by saying, we do. Let me ask you, do you promise to offer Talia and her family your love and care and to join with her parents in sharing our Christian faith with her? We do. Great. Well, let's stand together, shall we, as we pray. Let's pray. Oh God, we want to pray now for Talia and for her future. God, we pray for her family, that they would surround her with love and care, that in her home she would always know the love and care that comes from people who love and trust in you. Oh God, we pray for Talia that she would grow, and that she would grow in love and in care and in wisdom. God, we pray that you would take our mistakes and through them that you would reveal yourself. Oh God, take the experiences that she will have in her life and through them, God, would you speak your gracious word to her. Oh God, as she grows in body and in mind and spirit, God, feed and guide Talia by your spirit. Bring her safely through childhood and youth and God, would you lead her to a point where she trusts in you as her Lord and Saviour. Oh God, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And Brendan and Tanya, can I ask what you have named Talia? Talia Charlotte. Talia. Talia Charlotte Arnold. Great. Well, let me pray a blessing on Talia. Talia Charlotte Arnold. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give, him, give you his peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Great. We should give her a round of applause, don't you think? And here's a certificate so she'll always remember this time and you'll be able to look back on it. God bless you guys. And Lord bless you. Yeah. See ya. Please take your seats. Just three to seven. You can go now out for your little time. That would be great. So make your way out there. Have lots of fun, kids. Not too much fun, though. And uh, we just want to let you know, next week, we're very excited because next week is kind of a date when uh, Gail begins officially as an associate pastor of this church, Gail Hill. And so next Sunday morning, we uh, are excited about having a, a, a morning where she would be inducted. Now, it's interesting with two services, you can't induct someone twice. And so next week at the 11 o'clock service, Gail, the official induction is going to take place. But we will pray for her at the 9 o'clock service next week. We'll have a little special time when we will pray for her and uh, commit her uh, ministry to the Lord. Um, but the actual induction will take place at the second service. But that's next week. And uh, as you look ahead in Colossians, uh, Gail's going to be speaking to us as well from the next um, intake from Colossians on freedom in Christ. So it'll be great to hear too. Um, there are some things in life that are worth fighting for aren't there? Like, like the World Cup. Uh, you know, Australia has found it so hard to get into the World Cup and they thought it was so important that they actually change coaches and get a new coach. 
and uh, they, they bought the old guy out, bought a new coach in. And look at the results that we've seen so far. It's not all just the coach, is it? But some things are worth fighting for. In fact, uh, World Cup tickets apparently are worth fighting for. Uh, this week in the Herald Sun, uh, I read on Wednesday uh, an article that said, that's not my wife, that's the heading. It says, a thief who stole a World Cup ticket from a woman's handbag was caught after sitting down to watch the game next to his victim's husband. <laughs> the thief, th 34, mugged Eva Stanman, 42, on her way to the game and found the ticket in her handbag. But when he took his seat, his stolen seat, her husband, Burnt, 43, immediately called security. Apparently, World Cup tickets are worth fighting for. I, I read that article and I think, why on earth did the husband, when his wife got mugged, just say, see ya, honey, sorry you're mugged. I've got tickets to the game, I'll see you later. <laughs> Some things really are worth fighting for, aren't they? I, I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you felt so passionately about something that you thought it was worth fighting for, for you. Maybe it's just a brand new toaster that's broken down and you go to take it back and they say, no refunds. And you just... Uh, maybe for you, it's uh, some, something else. Maybe it's like um, a child at school that's getting bullied and you just see how much it's hurting them and there comes a point where you as a parent say, that's it. I'm not going to stand it anymore. I'm going to go down and speak to the principal. You know, it's worth fighting for. Maybe for you, some, when you think of some things that are worth fighting for, you think about your teenage daughter or your teenage son who's in the danger of getting swept along by peer pressure. And you think, you know, that is worth fighting for for me as a parent. Maybe a marriage, a marriage that's heading down a bad road. And you know, in order to save this marriage, it's so worth fighting for. Some things in life are worth fighting for, aren't they? And Paul, in this passage that we look at today, says, hey, Christian maturity is worth fighting for. You know, there are some churches that say, uh, you, you come in and it's as though all that you need to do is turn up each week, smile, shake a few hands and go back home and you've done what's required. But Paul would not have anything of that of his people. He said, I, I'm going to labour, I'm going to work, I'm going to give my whole life so that people would not just be people who believe some truths but don't change. Because if that was to happen, the church would die so quickly. He said, my desire is that people would be presented perfect in Christ so that they would be living lives that display the ultimate one that we talked about last week and that people would come to know Jesus as a result of their witness. Spiritual maturity, Paul says, is worth fighting for. This is our third week in the book of Colossians, if you've been here. If you haven't, uh, we've been going through verse by verse on this journey and we've been looking at Paul and Paul was writing um, from Rome and he was under house arrest in Rome. And he was writing to the church in Colossae. And he was, uh, this was a church that was most likely planted by Epaphras. Epaphras was someone who'd lived in Colossae, but apparently had been there when Paul had been ministering in Ephesus. And he was one of the people that had uh, been converted, uh, become a Christian, <coughs> moved back to Colossae and shared the gospel with the church there where he was from. And this young group of Christian believers uh, began trusting in Jesus Christ and put their faith in him. And it seems that as they uh, trusted, the church began to grow. And it seems that Epaphras had visited Paul in prison in Rome. And he'd shared with him that there were some false teachers that were coming in amongst the church at Colossae. And these people were, were trying to add things to what Epaphras had taught them about the gospel. You know, they were trying to say, it was all good what you heard uh, Epaphras sharing you about Jesus and how he's the one who's died and risen again and you just need to put your trust in him. 
but you just need to eat these foods or you just need to get this special knowledge or you just need to do this extra thing to be perfect or full, knowing the fullness of the gospel. Paul says, you're in great danger. And so he writes this letter to the church in Colossae to tell them that Christ is above all, that Christ is all they need. And in our first week, we saw that the Colossian church was a church that was transformed. Since they'd heard the gospel, they'd put their trust, their faith in Jesus. They'd been a church that had not only put their trust in him, the rock, but they'd demonstrated that they loved Jesus by loving others. They loved people. They showed it, the evidence of Christ at work in them, in their care for each other. And they were Christians that were waiting with expectant hope for the joy, for the glory of, of Christ to be made, made known to them, the coming of Jesus, that one day they would be with him. So there were these people and Paul said, that's really great. And he said, oh, I, I, just, I just pray that you'll continue to grow from glory to glory, that you'll be growing in maturity, uh, continuing on from this faith and from this love and from this hope, and you will continue to know God more and more. Then last week, we looked at how Paul moved from encouraging them and saying how, how great they'd been going, how he was encouraged by them, to, to talk to the church at Colossae saying, Jesus is more than enough. He's the ultimate one. Remember, Paul wrote those incredible words that said, he's the visible image of the invisible God. He said he's supreme over all creation. All creation was made through him and for him and in him all creation holds together. He, he said not only that, but that Christ is the head of the church. He's the one in which his followers are all intimately connected, the one that we get our life and breath from, the one who leads us and guides us as a church. He's supreme. He's the ultimate one. He's not only supreme, ultimate one, but he's actually rescued us and taken us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the light. He's transformed us. He's made us new creations. All this was done, Paul said, uh, through Jesus' death. And as a result, you're perfect, blameless, without fault before God. Oh, all that from the ultimate one, Jesus Christ. And if you've believed the good news about Jesus Christ, if you've put your trust in him as the ultimate one, you're forgiven too. Jesus says, death on the cross was more than enough to take your sin away. You can stand holy and blameless. And that's fabulous news, isn't it, this morning for those that have trusted in Jesus Christ. And finally, Paul tells them in this passage, just before the one we're looking at today, he said, don't just rest in that truth, continue in that truth, stand firm in it, hold so strongly to it so that you don't Drift away. And you know there's these false teachers in Colossae that are trying to teach them all different things that might drift them away. So Paul's saying, stay the course. Keep trusting. Don't drift away. And I mean, Paul's words to the church in Colossae are so relevant to us today, aren't they? I mean, you can go into our own Christian bookshops and get books that will have one other thing which is the next thing to hear, you know, the most exciting thing that you need to know. Or you can go to festivals to hear about the New Age movement and how you can get a crystal that can help you. Or you can open the paper and hear discussions all about horoscopes and how they're going to impact your life today. And you as a Christian can think, well, maybe I don't have it all in Christ. Maybe I need something more. And Paul's words come strongly to us. He's the ultimate one. So, Today, in this passage, as we have it before us, Paul, Paul says that there is a fight worth fighting and it's the fight for spiritual maturity. And he says, I, I want you to do three things uh, today. And I think for us, it, it's good for us to, to do these three things. And the first thing is, if we're going to rise to the challenge of spiritual maturity and fight that fight, the first thing is to take responsibility, you and I, take responsibility for proclaiming Christ in all his fullness today. That's what we need to do. We're going to be serious about spiritual maturity today. 
So Paul begins in this section from verses 24 to 27 by explaining that he feels this responsibility to preach Christ in all his fullness, in all its fullness. He, he writes, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am completing what remains of Christ's suffering for his body, the church. So Paul begins the section by writing, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body. He says he's happy. He's rejoicing when he suffers. I have to admit that's not how I feel when I suffer. You know, uh, this week somebody came by our house and saw that our letterbox was slightly over and they pushed it right over and uh, out sort of broke the concrete attached to it and I came out and found it just lying across. And I've got to tell you, I didn't rejoice. That was the last thing on my mind at that time, rejoicing. But nothing that a bit of rapid set can't fix and uh, it's all fixed now. Um, but I didn't feel like rejoicing. But, you know, I don't think Paul would have felt like rejoicing either if someone did his letterbox as well. Because Paul wasn't just uh, re saying, I rejoice that I'm suffering randomly, you know. Like, I don't think the people who got my letterbox knew that I was a, 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 a follower of Christ. And I don't think they sort of pushed it down going, this one loves Jesus, you know, we'll take that. Because if that had happened, I probably would rejoice, you know, a little bit more. But I think this was just a random thing. And, but I'd rejoice even more if my letterbox being pushed over meant that your letterboxes didn't have to be pushed over. I'd, I'd be wrapped about that. And Paul's sense here, as he says this is, I'm rejoicing because my suffering is because I'm trying to advance the gospel and I'm suffering. And this suffering that I'm feeling on, uh, as, I, as I'm proclaiming the gospel is suffering that I'm, not enjoying, I'm enduring on your behalf. So I rejoice. I rejoice. So he wouldn't have been happy about the letterbox incident unless it was going to help your letterboxes not get smashed. And he was passionate about the gospel. His suffering was bringing about a purpose that Christ would be proclaimed. In a way, this is what Paul was saying. He was preaching the gospel and it was in the Colossi's interest that he was doing that. So he rejoiced, even though he was suffering in his body. In Philippians 2 and verse 17, Paul wrote, writes, uh, but even if my life is being poured out like a drink offering to complete the sacrifice of your faithful service, that is if I'm to die for you, I will rejoice, Paul says, because I want to share my joy with all of you. When Paul suffered, he rejoiced when it was on behalf of Christ. And, and he rejoiced in that whole thing. So Paul says, I'm rejoicing my suffering. Now, what does it mean here in this verse, though, when Paul says, uh, for I am completing what remains of Christ's suffering? That's, a, that's an interesting little um, phrase to say, isn't it? Is, is this writer saying that Jesus' death on the cross was not enough? You know, and there's more that needs to be completed in his suffering? I don't think at all he's talking about that because, you know, in Colossians already, Paul is showing clearly that Christ is all sufficient. You know, he's already rescued us from the dominion of darkness and his, his, his sacrifice on the cross was more than enough. So he's not, he's not talking about that. Um, Paul, I think he's just finished saying that um, we, we have been saved from the death. So it's not that at all. And I don't think he's kind of saying that there's a predetermined amount of suffering that all of us or needs to take place by all believers. So I wonder what does he mean here? I think when we try and figure out what it means for Paul to be saying from completing what remains of Christ's suffering, we, we kind of need to look over at um, Acts chapter 9 and verses 3 to 6. If you have that, why don't you just turn over now to Acts chapter 9 and verses 3 to 6. And in this passage, this is where Paul is on the road to Damascus. And he's travelling along the road to the Damascus, uh, not loving the church at all. In fact, he's wanting to persecute the church and he's wanting to hurt people. He hasn't met the risen Christ at all and he's trying to hurt the church. His name's Saul at this point. And he's travelling along the road and in verse 3, we see what happens. He says, 
Uh, it says, as he was nearing Damascus on his mission, a brilliant light from heaven suddenly beamed down upon him. He fell to the ground and he heard a loud, I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul says, who are you, sir? Saul asks. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you are to do. The most incredible thing is that Jesus had already risen from the dead and ascended a long time before. And so here's Jesus coming to uh, Saul on the road to Damascus and saying, you're persecuting me. How could that possibly happen? How could that happen? Well, surely he wasn't, Paul, uh, Paul wasn't actually persecuting Jesus in the flesh. But what Jesus was saying is when you're persecuting my people, when you persecute my followers, you're persecuting me. I think this is what, why Paul had such a clear uh, understanding of the body of Christ. You know, he used that phrase all the time in, in uh, 1 Corinthians. He talked about the body of Christ and he was realising that followers of Christ make up the body of Christ. So when you persecute someone, you're persecuting Christ if they're a follower of Christ. You see, the interesting thing was Paul was on his way to persecute Christ's followers. And in doing so, he met the risen Christ who said, you're persecuting me. And Paul moved from persecutor to persecuted. He would now be the one that would suffer on Christ's behalf. And he would continue to take beatings, sufferings. He would wind up in prison in the way that he was trying to hurt Christ's followers. And an incredible reversal took place. And Paul now finds it a joy that he continues to suffer uh, and he continues to take upon himself Christ's sufferings when people hurt him and persecute him. And he's doing that on behalf of the whole church. So Paul now was pleasing, uh, pleased to suffer. So clearly he sees that the gospel is something that's worth suffering for. How about you? you know, do you think that sharing Christ and telling other people about Jesus is worth suffering for? Uh, have you been getting into a little bit of self-preservation mode, perhaps at uh, family get-togethers where you know people know that you love Jesus and when they ask you things, you just avoid the topic? Or perhaps at work, you haven't taken opportunities that have come up to share about Jesus. Perhaps uh, you haven't been doing all that you can to, to share the gospel when the opportunity arrives. Maybe you're afraid you'll be criticised or knocked or not invited out places. Well, Paul would just say, hey, I'm willing to suffer, even in my body. I'm willing to take on uh, suffering because of the gospel. It's worth sharing, even if it results in suffering. And the challenge to us is today is to be people who are proclaiming the gospel of Christ in all its fullness. Paul goes on and he says in uh, 1.25, he says, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his message in all its fullness to you Gentiles. When did that happen? When Paul got this responsibility? Well, it's the same place. Acts 9 in, uh, in Saul's call on the road to Damascus. And you'll read there that what happened is uh, Ananias in verse uh, 15 says, um, yeah, in verse 15 says, but the Lord said, go and do what I say, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as the people of Israel. So Saul, when he's on the road, bright lights, uh, why are you persecuting me? And then uh, God reveals to Ananias that Saul is going to be God's messenger to take the message to the Gentiles. So Saul gets this incredible clear calling and this morning it's a, it's a good thing to say Paul had a special calling to the Gentiles and the church at Colossae was made up largely of Gentile people so he was writing this letter to them with his pastoral heart to care for them and to love them and it, it just reminds me that you know what has God called you to someone has God called you to minister to people I mean today as you are here living in Wodonga do you realise that God has called you to be someone who would be a witness to the gospel right here in Wodonga or in Albury or wherever you live and work? Uh, 
he had a special calling for Paul, but we're all called to be his witnesses. You know, I, I realise that right where we are, we have a calling specifically to the people around us that no one else will have. I mean, God's placed us here to minister to them. And how much are we responding to that? He's also given us a growing heart for the Yao people who, whose flag we have here in Malawi. And, and that we would be those that would be praying and trying uh, that, uh, praying that they would know Jesus and come to know him. And, and our giving has just been great. I, well over 12,000 for them. And our heart is that they would know God. God is calling people today, just like you and me, to be people that would be witnesses for Jesus in our family, at work, at school, wherever we go, taking the gospel and praying for people, uh, asking God for opportunities. Would he, would he prompt p opportunities where we might be able to share so naturally the things that Jesus has done in our life, being witnesses? Paul says... This calling that he had was to proclaim Christ to the Gentiles in all its fullness, in all its fullness. It seems that the false teachers at Colossae had been saying, uh, they'd been boasting of a fullness of knowledge. There was something extra that they needed, some extra mystical experience. And Paul says, I preach Christ, the ultimate one, the whole fullness of God. Uh, the one he'd said that, in Christ, all the fullness of God dwelt. He's more than enough, Paul says. So I preach him. And he goes on in verse 26 and he says, um, This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past. And now it's been revealed to his own holy people. You see, what was hidden in the past, Christ and his fullness, was now revealed. I remember as a young boy, my mum and dad gave me this magic black hat, a top hat, and uh, it had a little special compartment in where I could have some cards and pull them out and surprise everyone. And I remember people would gather around and I'd have some handkerchiefs on one part and a, and a thing and everyone would wait and then all be excited and I'd pull out some cards and everyone, woo, you know, what was hidden has been revealed and they would be anticipating, waiting. And, you know, so many people have been waiting for God and for what he was going to do. And they've been longing for a Messiah. And now what they'd longed for and what they'd waited for for so many years had been revealed. What was hidden, what was secret, was now revealed, open for all to see. And everybody could see Christ in all his fullness. And people were, were, were excited about that. And Paul goes on and he says, God was, for it pleased God to tell his people that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. So what was hidden and now revealed is just full of riches and glory, not just for the Jewish people who are waiting for their Messiah, but for Gentiles and for everybody, everyone who would, who would put their trust in Jesus Christ. So what a great joy this was for them. This is the secret, Paul says. The secret is that Christ lives in you. And this is the assurance that you will share in his glory. Paul shows how this secret was now made available to every single person who would trust in Jesus Christ, open to everyone. God's secret plan that Christ lives in you. It's amazing, isn't it, that God planned the ultimate one, the one who was before all things, in him all things existed, in all things hold together through him, to live in you, to strengthen you, to empower you each day. And this is the secret, the hope of glory, not hidden anymore, revealed now through Jesus Christ down through the ages. Have you accepted Christ, the hope of glory, the one who has been revealed? Do you put your trust in him? Because by turning from your sin, by turning to Jesus and putting your trust in him, the ultimate one comes and dwells in you through the power of his Holy Spirit. Uh, 
In Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with you. And when you know that he lives in you, when you ask him into your heart and he comes and he lives within you, you know that Jesus is real because you experience his presence in your life. And that is the strong assurance that Jesus has saved you. You know him. You know his work. You're his child. You're going to share in his glory. And knowing Christ's presence in your life now is a great assurance that one day you will be with him forever. There's a great preacher in the early part of last century who was preaching out in the fields one day and a heckler uh, was in the crowd and the preacher said, you know, Jesus Christ is alive. And the heckler yelled out and goes, yeah, we'll prove it. And he said, well, I spoke to him this morning. And the whole crowd just went, oh. You know, the evidence that Christ is alive is in the way that he walks and talks with us each day in our lives, that we know his presence in us as we live for him. Uh, This is what Romans 8.10 says, Since Christ lives within you, even though our body will die because of sin, your spirit is alive because you have been made right with God. So Paul writes in that first section here, uh, showing how he had the responsibility to preach Christ and he calls us to be those that would take the responsibility of proclaiming Christ in all his fullness and that we'd take that seriously. The second challenge for people that will be willing to fight today for spiritual maturity is to focus on the purpose of of the gospel, which is presenting people perfect in Christ. Just a simple thing to do by the sound of it, isn't it? (laughs) Presenting people perfect in Christ. That's what we've got to do if we're going to fight for the gospel. See, Paul said that he's fought hard proclaiming Christ to people so that he might present them perfect before God in their relationship with Christ. This is what he says in verse 128. So everywhere we go, we tell everyone about Christ. We warn them and teach them with all the wisdom that God has given us for we want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. Do you realise how here no one was excluded? Look what he says. uh, Everybody had the opportunity to to speak. So everywhere we go, we tell everyone about Christ. Uh, Old, yes. Young, yep. Absolutely. Rich, yep. Poor, Jew, yes. Gentile, you know, people that were close by, yes. People that were far away, yes. Everybody. Now, there's no spiritual elitism as the people in, in Colossae in the church, the false teachers were saying, you know, you've got to have this special knowledge. Uh, Paul's saying, no, everybody. We want, to, we want everyone to hear the gospel everywhere. So we want, we want to tell them. And that's why every week when we, when we gather at the start, we say, you're welcome here. You know, whether you're here for the first time or you've been here for all the time, you're welcome because we want you to get to know God. And, and you know Why? Because every person matters to God. Every person is precious to him. And if there's still one person living in Wodonga, if there's still one person in this whole city that doesn't know Christ, we've still got work to do. We've still got a message to proclaim. And, and, and as long as there is one person that doesn't know Jesus, we will keep sharing the gospel in this city, hoping that people will come to know him. We want to keep growing because we want people to know Jesus. So if you look around you today, if you see some empty seats next to you, if there's no one sitting next to you, why don't you take it upon yourself to pray? To pray that there will be people that you can invite. There'll be people that will be your friends, your brother, your mother, your family, that might be able to be here as well because that would mean one other person that's being perfected to become more and more like Christ in every way, someone that would know him. So Paul says we we warn them and we teach them uh, with all the wisdom that God has given us. Everywhere we go, we tell everyone and we warn them and we teach them. You know the word here, warn, in the Greek means to admonish, uh, to instruct, 
So it, it has the meaning of getting someone's mind into the proper order of things so that they are thinking in the right way, the correcting them or, or steering them down the right track. And it's so important that as a church and as believers, when there are people that are trusting in Christ, that they be warned and, and taught about the faith. You know, it's important for people that are coming to know Jesus who might have all different worldviews and all different ideas to learn about Christ. And Paul says he, he labours and he teaches, he warns people, he warns them so that they would know how to live and how Christ wants them to live. He'd teach them, I'm sure, about Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection, his, it, the fact that uh, in him is life and life to the full and how we can go about having that. He'd teach them about prayer and about reading the scriptures and about gathering together each week at church to, to, to know him and to encourage one another. He'd teach them all about those things, warning them, encouraging them. Paul also says that he is involved in intensive teaching. It's through this teaching that Paul teaches them, not only warning them, but teaching them that Christ is proclaimed. And in the midst of the false teachers, they would need to be taught well so that they would stand firm. Uh, I wonder about you. Do you realise how crucial it is to be taught well? I want to challenge you this morning to be those that put yourself in the place of good teaching. Be those that determined to come regularly to church. To be those that would sit, wrestle through, look up the scriptures, try and learn more about uh, what we're doing. Do some reading beforehand so you can know. And get yourself into a small group during the week where people open up the scriptures where you can interact with the word of God so that you're learning and you're, and you're being taught each week. You know, the first thing that Paul would say is to warn and teach. He, he wants... He, that's what he does so that people would be on the right track and that they would grow. And, and I think that's for us to do that as well. And then the second outworking of that, if, if we are those that are, are warning and, and being, are being warned and taught in our own lives, then we should be those that are then warning and teaching others. And who do you think should be the first people that you should be warning and teaching? Well, parents, if you have children, you must not miss the opportunities that occur every single day to warn and teach your children. You know, there are perfect moments at the end of every day to, to read the scriptures to them. Get them a children's Bible or get them, get them uh, something that will help them to read through God's word. You know, each week, bring them along to, to kids' church. Help them in memorising their scriptures. Be people that every night pray with your kids or during the day look for opportunities where you can share your life with them. If you're not going to teach and instruct your kids, who will? Who will? Paul says, I give my whole life. I'm willing to suffer for it. And yet our kids are in our home all the time. Be those that don't waste those moments so that when kids grow up and are in the midst of all this kind of peer pressure, that they will stand firm because you've prayed with them each night or each morning, because you've read the Bible with them in their own sort of appropriate kind of children's Bible because you've talked with them as things have unfolded in your family and you've prayed through those things with them, including them in their things. Parents, do that. Teach your children. Model to them. And, and, and friends and, and family and people around you, be those that are warning and teaching others as well so that people don't go astray. What's the purpose of all this teaching and warning and everything like that? Well, the purpose is that we would present people perfect in their relationship with Christ. Now, all the warning, all the teaching that Paul and Epaphras were doing uh, is that one day they might present people perfect in Christ and whole. And perfect doesn't mean without fault. It means mature. It means complete. It means whole in Christ. So we, we must work wholeheartedly like an athlete. It means we should strive, not in our own strength alone, but we should uh, strive with God's power at work within us so that we can learn and grow daily. Paul says, I work very, very hard at this as I depend on Christ's mighty power and strength that works within me. So Paul says, first of all, take responsibility if you want to be serious about Christian maturity by pro for proclaiming Christ in all his fullness. Secondly, focus on the purpose, presenting, perfecting people in Christ. And thirdly, give everything you have to this task. You know, he says, uh, 
I just want you to know that I've agonised for you. You know, the sense here of, of sweat, of, you know, really labouring, of exhausted, but keeping on labouring for the church at Colossae and the people at Laodicea. How could he have done that when he didn't even know them? He didn't know them personally. Well, he's been labouring and agonising in prayer for them, that they would be those that would stand strong and that they would grow in their faith and be people that are spiritually mature. He wants them to be encouraged and knitted together in love so that they might stand really strong and tall, have confidence, complete confidence in Christ. And Paul finishes in verses 4 to 5. And he says to them, I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you. Deceive implies, you know, leading people astray by false reasoning um, with persuasive arguments, you know, smooth sounding, nice little flowery things. And Paul says, I don't want you to be deceived by that because even though I'm far away from you, my heart is really with you. And he finishes off with a real bit of encouragement. He says, and I'm very happy because you are living as you should because your faith in Christ is strong. Your faith in Christ is strong. Paul says, give everything you have to bring about Christian spiritual maturity in your life and in the life of those around you that you influence. Because this is a fight that's worth fighting for. I wonder, have you got your gloves on? Are you someone who's being passionate and dedicated to fighting in that fight? Do you know, if we don't be those that will grow in maturity to a point where we can share Christ with others, then the church will not keep growing. We need to be those that seriously grow ourselves in Christ and help others grow so that this church might impact the whole of Wodonga, Albury and the regions all around. Let's pray that God would help us to do that. Oh God, this morning we want to pray. We want to pray wholeheartedly that you would help us be those that would grow, that would continue to fight and battle so that we might be those that stand strong and firm in you alone, Lord Jesus. Help us to have the passion and the heart of Paul so that we might bring glory to you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we go now, we're going to uh, ask you to just take out the blue cards that are in your um, news sheet. We'd just love you to fill those in. And it'd be just great if everybody here filled one out. It'd be wonderful just to have a record that you've been here today, but also to give you an opportunity to write anything on the back as well. If you want to respond to any of the courses we've talked about today or any of the other ones on the back, that would be great. Still got Baptism Church membership classes tomorrow night, my place, 7.30. Uh, uh, quarter to eight, sorry, at my place. So if you want to come to that, that's great. Why don't we take just a moment to fill that out right now?